Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with integrative family and community medicine physician, Anna O'Malley, hosted by Steve Heilig. Good morning, people, wherever you may be. I happen to be in San Francisco where it is extremely foggy, which is normal for this time of year. And that may be about the only normal thing that's going on at this point in our uh, planet even, but uh, all around. And so I want to welcome everybody who's joining in here. I am Steve Heilig. I'm a new school host and longtime Commonweal uh, staff member and associate. And um, I am not Michael Lerner, who, who's mostly been doing these Friday morning talks. He is actually, it's not a secret, he's having surgery today. Uh, and it's literally about 10 blocks to my right here where he is. So we're all thinking very much of him. We're all confident that he will be fine. And uh, we're going to continue on with the talks and the work that we do here, of course, with his blessing. Some of us have been in touch with him daily. So, and we very much welcome all of your own uh, support for him in any way that you feel appropriate. And I believe we'll maybe have a little more on that. So today we are very glad to welcome one of our own here, Dr. Anna O'Malley, who is a uh, respected and beloved uh, physician in West Marin and uh, who trained here in San Francisco area as well, and who's really taken the concepts of ecological medicine, integrative health, into a very practical and useful way in our community and who has uh, talked and written about this as well and was very uh, graciously agreed to join us this morning when we canceled some of the other talks as well. So we're very fortunate and good morning, Anna. Good morning. Delighted to be here. Thank you. So before we get into uh, some of the history of who you are and what you do, I'm wondering if you might like to read the manifesto for healers that you recently wrote, which I think really encapsulate the ideas and the work that you do mm -hmm. and us off in a, a great way with, with things to talk about. You want to do that to start? Absolutely. Yeah. And just by way of background, no, I, in addition to being a primary care physician, which is a great honor and joy out here in West Marin, I also steward the Commonweal Garden and direct a program of Commonweal, the Natura Institute for Ecology and Medicine. And as I was coming into this um, incredible, another honor of a position two years ago, uh, I, I wrote this as a way of sort of crystallizing and synthesizing things that I've been that have been on my heart and in my mind, as as really all along through coming into medicine and and training in it and seeing the wounding therein and uh, grappling with the challenges and the the responsibility and the the great gift of an opportunity that it is to be in medicine and to uh, to help create a, or to to attune myself really to that north star of what it is that I want to be working with as a healer uh, at this planetary moment. So here it is, a healer's manifesto. 
We are in need of deep healing on an individual, community, and planetary level. We are sickened by a focus on material consumption, which has distracted us from meaningful, health-enhancing relationships and sense of purpose, while adversely impacting life-sustaining ecosystems for future generations. In a globalized, connected world, we are socially isolated and lonely, disconnected from life-supporting nature, social connections, and weakened skills for healthy dialogue and connection. We are struggling with shocking disparities in wealth and access to essential needs of food, shelter, and healthcare. We are significantly stressed, distracted, and over-medicated, and have lost sight of what gives us our well-being and humanness on a living planet. Joy, sorrow, grief, awe, agency, community, connection, relationship, and the mystery of life and death itself. At a time when the voice of the healer is urgently needed, as healers working within the healthcare system, we are stressed, exhausted, overworked, and struggling to medically manage the far downstream effects of living in a culture that fuels the chronic disease epidemic. We are struggling to stay well while practicing in a system that asks more of us in less time when health and healing requires relationship, thus more time. We recognize the very real risk we run of harming people when hurriedly addressing symptoms within complex systems and the exquisite uniqueness of human beings. We are demoralized by a system which emphasizes disease and pharmaceutical medicine rather than healing the wholeness of mind, body, spirit, and emotion. We recognize the harm caused by remaining complicit within a system that commodifies the management of chronic disease without addressing the underlying causes of unwellness in our patients and our communities. We are distressed by healthcare's significant ecological footprint and resulting negative impact on health and well-being. At a time when our precious life-sustaining planet is in peril and our species may well face extinction, it is time for healers to speak the truth to those in power, to partner with community, to advocate for healing on a personal, societal, and planetary level, and to offer our wisdom and knowledge to support the co-creation of new models of health and care delivery. It's time to build a movement within health and medicine that articulates and advocates for an ecology of healing within healthcare and communities and for a medicine that is ecologically regenerative and restorative. We believe that our health systems should support conditions of health and wellness in which patients are heard and partnered with, clinicians are given time to listen to the patient's story, to thoughtfully consider the diagnosis and to effectively educate and partner with patients on caring for themselves. We understand that health is dynamic as a function of mind, body, spirit, and emotion, and our beings have an inherent capacity to heal. Healers seek first and foremost to guide the patient back into balance with foundational, natural, least invasive approaches and procedures and draw upon the medicine of social connection, the relaxation response, the nature of nature connection, of meaning and wonder, and of nourishing food and healing plants. We believe that healers must partner with communities to reclaim agency over their healing and limit their encounters with a system not designed to give what is theirs to create for themselves, individually and collectively, their health and well being. We believe in leveraging community as medicine, weaving interpersonal connections that can be harnessed in support of behavior change and in service of increasing resilience in individuals and communities. We believe that connecting people to nature is an essential aspect of healing for humans and for the earth. 
awe and wonder, connection with something greater than ourselves, and cultivation of kinship with all forms of life are natural effects of being connected to nature. Remembering we are woven into a logo, local ecosystem can serve as motivation to bring ourselves into a healthy balance with all life. We believe that it is time for the healer's voice, unfettered by healthcare system or corporate constraints, to be heard on issues of social justice, cultural and societal well-being, climate change, and the policy decisions that impact these decisions and issues. We believe that medicine should not harm people or the planet. We've caused harm to people who, in their vulnerable need for medical counsel, have been rushed, had their intuitions or research efforts dismissed or invalidated, or have not been listened to. We believe there are many healers and that physician healers do not have sufficient wisdom alone. We believe we must put into right relationship our focus on life and end of life and embrace the cycle of life and death as part of our healing journey. We believe that a new model of medicine is emerging as a best practice within medicine, a medicine that is empowering and ecological, that takes a whole systems approach and that supports the well-being of the patient, the healer, the community, and the planet. So, yes, you packed a lot in there. That's why it's called a manifesto, I think. Right? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Um, we'll get into a lot of those issues here. But let's go back first and start just about you. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Where, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Minnesota, and I grew up there until about 12. And I, then I moved to Wisconsin. And uh, my childhood, I would say one of my, my first loves and, and quite the formative aspect of my, my childhood was the fact that we had a woods nearby and uh, I had quite a contemplative, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature and uh, spent a lot of time alone in the woods, just in, uh, you know, totally in fascination and wonder and connection and in the fort building and the imaginative landscape and connection with the bunnies and the deer and the trees. And so for me, that was, you know, absolutely a part of my childhood. And the other aspect of my childhood that was formative and that I've had, a, you know, an evolving complex relationship with was being brought up in the church, in the Lutheran church. My parents are uh, I would say they're they're quite religious, and I've um, I would identify uh, more as spiritual, which they would identify as a particularly California thing to say. But um, you know, for me, the the being brought up with a, a solid grounding in the teachings of Jesus Christ was was really meaningful to me, and uh, and has I think informed a, a choice to go into a, the the path of service. And in and seeing the the healing power of, um, and then moved to to Wisconsin when I was twelve, and uh, and many things. I mean, I I love the Great Lakes ecology, the Upper Midwest, the people, the the humility and the kindness uh, are the the light sides of it, um, and you know, I've, was ready to go um, when recognizing the limitations, you know, the lack of diversity, the lack of, of, um, I think, openness to leading edge ways of thinking and, and integration of, of new ideas. And um, so uh, particularly of the, the spiritual sort. 
And also being fascinated as a teenager, you know, really loving music and uh, and the intersection of music and cultural change and cultural movements and uh, just feeling completely fascinated by the West Coast and uh, deeply in love with the lyrics of and the music of the Grateful Dead. And so when I went into medical school, which I did in Wisconsin, the Medical College of Wisconsin, when I was looking for residencies and uh, making the decisions about where to go, I actually ranked only one program, which was, as you can appreciate, a, a gutsy thing to do, but that was the UCSF Family and Community Medicine Residency Program at the General Hospital and came out and and actually, you know, did some away rotations in medical school uh, to check it out at the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic, uh, their drug outpatient clinic, and went up to Santa Rosa and checked out their their program. But you know, just absolutely fell in love with San Francisco and the leading edge thinking and doing and being that was happening out here. And here I am. Uh, you didn't say where did you go undergraduate school? Ah, uh, thank you, University of Wisconsin in Madison. And was yeah. it during those was it during those years, undergraduate years, that you decided on medicine, or were you already thinking along those lines? Seventh grade, really. Um, you know, my my initial decision was born of a total fascination with learning about physiology and anatomy. You know, as I said, I was you know, completely enthralled with the natural world, and uh, just I lo- I love school, and uh, was a really um, dedicated, studious, little driven, achiever, self-motivated, um, Enneagram one firstborn Capricorn, sort of a little girl. (laughs) And, uh, in, in seventh grade, I had a, a wonderful biology teacher and, um, you know, who actually was quite a rigorous teacher, but it, um, you know, is well met there and, um, just fascinated with the idea that I could choose a, a profession and a path that would, um, offer me and and even of course demand of me lifelong learning and you know getting to to learn fascinating wondrous things about the human body and that was of course just just augmented and underscored as i continued that path and and of course it wasn't until i was older and and got to learn more and experience more and grow in the um the wisdom of what it is to engage with humanity and work within the context of relationships and see that, uh, you know, the science of it is only one beautiful facet of the practice of medicine, the art of it and the, the relationship weaving and the societal role and the opportunity for being a change agent, you know, hence the manifesto, you know, to sharpen that edge of like, what does this beautiful profession offer us to those who choose to step into it and in a a big full way. So, but it started in seventh grade. It's interesting because uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, one of our our stars as well, who uh, went through medical training much before you did. um, But she, she's spoken about a formative experience or experiences around that age, by the time you are an adolescent, 12 years old or something, 
that usually there's something that keys you off. It sounds like yours was cumulative of being out in the forest and and you already you knew from an early age. The the program that you mentioned at UCSF, the Family and Community Medicine one, is famous for uh, taking a broader view of of clinical training, as it were, you know, the community as a ecosystem itself and being open-minded about all of the impacts there. So it does sound like you landed in the right place, certainly there. What were the biggest challenges there? You know, even within uh, medical training at UCSF, uh, historically, there's been resistance to uh, what we call complementary and integrative medicines, for example. Um, and you were, you were there during turmoil times of HIV, uh, exploding and San Francisco general, for those who don't know, hospital is our public hospital, which is right in the center of all of the, you could say cultural pathologies that we have of substance abuse and homelessness. So you were really thrown into a very different environment from the forests of Minnesota, I would say. And uh, so what were your biggest challenges in medical training that you came up with? I don't think, you know, UCSF has been very good about bringing women in for one thing. So that's been for quite some time. There are lots of, actually, it's a majority now for quite some years, uh, more than men. Uh, Great for some time. But, um, you know, what what were you, what did you struggle with mostly then? Well, um, so I I was there between 2005 and 2008. And I... uh, between between the forests of of Minnesota and the uh, pastoral beauty of of Wisconsin, and um, and the and medical school, I I did as I, I mentioned have this very I was drawn to uh, what it is to be at large music events and festival festivals and and concerts and and did a lot of um, you know I worked with rock medicine when I was out here. But also did did a lot at uh, you know on the jam band scene you know it was one of my I, I'm I'm a lover of ecstatic states I'll say that too like I, I think that there's something about being in uh, you know in in a, an ecstatic state be it through dance or through music or through a collective consciousness that um, that is really resonant and and I think speaks to something about what it is to be a healer and to be to be in the liminal realm uh, but. Many people uh, find their way there through use of drugs, and so I had been really opened by my uh, presence on at these um, festival and, and large concert scenes within the, the jam band community in the early in like the early two thousands. And by the the shift that I was witnessing in the drug use, um, you know, from psychedelics to harder drugs, and a lot of people shooting um, on the scene, shooting drugs, and um, just, you know, being very curious about and moved by the poignant realities of what it is to be addicted to drugs. And so um, part of what drew me to San Francisco and to UCSF and, um, you know, having experiences at the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic was a, a, a deep desire to understand the phenomenon of addiction and to allow myself to have my heart opened to it and respond from from a place of um, humanity and so so being at UCSF at San Francisco General was hard because you're as you as you say you're in the thick of it you're down in the mission and and beautifully 
getting to serve with your heart, you know, if you let it, you know, blown wide open by the stories that you heard and the the circumstances. Um, I've I've said publicly that I have this superpower of being moved to tears really easily and um, I'm feeling it coming on right now. Um, But, you know, being, I wrote about this in, um, in the early days of the, um, the unrest following George Floyd's murder. But, um, you know, what it is to, to witness, I had an experience in the emergency room of, um, with, you know, a, a man of color who was a so-called frequent flyer, you know, f- frequently admitted to the inpatient service, usually in, uh, in heart failure, tipped off by um, his indulgence in crack cocaine, which in certain circum- communities is very much like, uh, you know, smoking marijuana recreationally. But we have all these judgments around it, and and it's illegal. And so he is in custody, and it was actually the the night that he would he would die. Um, he was admitted to the ICU, and he did not survive. He was he was in his sixties, and it's you know he lived a hard life. But while he was in custody. Uh, in the emergency room while I was admitting him, um, you know, the police officers who were, you know, there sitting with him while we were doing our medical work, um, you know, they were, he remained in custody and he was in agony. Um, and as we were working to control his symptoms and keep him safe and admit him, they were mocking him. And, um, you know, I'll just, for me, that was, I think the, it was, it was, hard emotionally to see um, the plight of humanity and the way in which humans are unkind to each other and the way in which society is unkind to people. Um, and it was, but it heartening to know that there, you know, being in medicine, I actually um, I have a, a funny relationship with power, but um, I think that what is what I did recognize in that moment that I actually could leverage my power over the uh, police officers in the room and be able to speak powerfully to them um, and and actually report them what what good it did I do not know but I think the hard thing is is recognizing how little power actually um, we have to change some of the circumstances that come to bear on people's health and see how hard we work on the downstream effects of the ravages of society. And the same is true in primary care, you know, our chronic disease epidemic that we are grappling with and and not really um, making much headway on, which will come to, uh, you know, great financial impacts in coming years um you know so much of it is is because we're we're operating we're we're operating within this uh, completely perverse system that commodifies all sorts of things and doesn't seek to actually serve the the well-being of humanity it seeks to to optimize profits. And the same is, is true within aspects of medicine, which is, I think, disheartening. But what was what was wonderful in, in that residency was to have a leader like Kevin Grumbach, who was fiercely, you know, like in rounds, anytime someone would accidentally say the brand name of a medicine, he would like, you know, tirelessly, what's the generic? Let, let us be free 
of the um, the way in which pharma- the pharmaceutical industry has its grips on our practice and our, our um, you know, what we're attending to in medicine. And what you're saying is the, re- the reason why those kind of settings and that kind of practice is called the safety net is because you're basically catching you know, all the fallout from the broader, sicker, challenging culture. And um, it's it's hard to, this is, you know, there's many struggles on what you just mentioned in terms of a different healthcare system um, and all of the uh, profit-oriented influences in there. Um, sometimes it seems that there's headway towards fixing some of that, and sometimes it seems not. But uh, um, I'm wondering how you became interested in uh, and continued to work within a what is called integrative medicine, you know, looking at uh, less intensive, less pharmaceutical approaches and, and things like that. Did that come out of that experience too? I would say I think the the early days of that was have being raised by a mother who was very health conscious and didn't really uh, buy into the medicalization of human experiences. And um, I think you know it's, she was really in well before it was something that was popular um, in society at large. And certainly, you know, she's. She's a, a very conservative religious person in Wisconsin, so she's she's you know not out here in the Bay Area. Um, but from from early early childhood, I was uh, brought up with the idea that taking I mean her her version of it is that it's our own responsibility to take care of ourselves, um, and that taking good care of ourselves is um, it's just part of our responsibility. So that that was in there, but I would say that. Um, it, that my interest in integrative medicine really was crystallized by my own uh, coming face to face with illness, and and a, um, I had a thyroid mass when I was a second year resident. And as as you can probably appreciate, you know, the second year of residency in in this program was very intense. And thankfully I didn't have children and I was able to bring a single-minded focus to residency. And I loved it. I loved the rigor of it. This was before work hour reform. So we were just like working like dogs and the inpatient in the hospital and like just putting the needs of of our patient and patients and learning way above our own needs. Um, But I was fine with it and, you know, really engaged in it. But then I, I developed some health challenges and I had a heart condition um, and I had a, a thyroid mass and I had a way of, of knowing that it wasn't cancer, but how do you really know? And I had endocrinologists telling me, you really need to have this out because it may well be cancer. This biopsy is inconclusive. And so for me, it was um, you know just such a beautiful formative experience to come up against um, certain stylistic differences within uh, counseling patients and managing patients and uh, just seeing how like 
unchecked the unchecked egos and uh, lack of emotional intelligence that was on full display by these full professors in medicine that um, you know said things that you should just really never say to a twenty eight year old woman and um, and so. As I was grappling with it and, and also having my own ex- openings around meditation and energy work and, and even contemplating that there is such a thing as meaning apropos illness, you know, this was all really revelatory for me. And I uh, began my own inquiry into different ways of doing healing work while very much wanting to magically uh, or energetically um, or transpersonally make this mass go away, but ultimately came to an understanding of the difference between healing and curing and uh, and the beauty of surrender and had uh, a, a very moving, powerful experience with um, undergoing surgery and and all that that meant, even though I, it was it was quite a quite a journey, a personal journey. and uh, Plus, I got two weeks off of residency, which was a bonus. Um, so, um, for and after after that, you know, really, it that and plus, um, I was socially as I had moved out to the the Bay Area, very much in uh, in the social scene with people who were ecologically attuned and activist oriented and permaculturally trained and. Um, all, you know, doing yoga teachers and massage therapists. And so just, I was in uh, like a whole new social set and just like, oh, this is, this is actually just a culturally normative way of being. And it's actually the culture of medicine that, that needs to grow and evolve. Uh, And so then after I graduated from my residency, I had the great gift of an opportunity to be a Bravewell fellow and do an integrative medicine fellowship at the University of Arizona, uh, Andrew Wiles program. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Anna O'Malley and host Steve Heilig. And specifically like being a Bravewell fellow, it was you know such an honor to be part of the Bravewell collaborative. And, and part of that was this, you know, sacred, responsibility to take that and and do do what we can to to evolve and change medicine in a way that uh, honors the inherent capacity of human beings to heal and partners with that rather than dismissing or poo-pooing or insulting or verbally abusing those people who um, suspect that to be real who come before you and so after that fellowship you came back to this area so the the fellowship was actually a, a distance learning, and then with three um, mostly, uh, it was a two year experience. While I was doing that, I was doing work in the prison system, and uh, as this was in the wake of the federal receivership that happened, that took the the um, the delivery of healthcare within the prison system out of the hands of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation (CDCR) and put it into the hands of the federal government because the care was unconstitutionally abysmal. And so part of that effort was UCSF um, in a contracted role with the CDCR going into the prison system and, and helping it um, increase the level of care and hiring new physicians and all of that. And so 
uh, I had this beautiful opportunity to, while I was on site to be uh, working with the women at an institute institution down in Southern California and um, to be doing some of the, the mind body work and um, the guided imagery and, and dance jams even uh, within the prisons with, within that prison. Um, so having, having the opportunity and seeing the, firsthand what it is to to go into a place where where medicine on so many like healing on so many levels is needed and to just be with people in their humanity and remembering that um you know our presence first and foremost is medicine and how we are with people how we we see them and then the experiences that we um hold space for is every bit as important as knowing what uh what drug to give under what circumstance so out of the, did, did your an awareness of the ecological aspects uh, from, you know, small plants to global climate change, all of that, did that come out of the kind of clinical integrative uh, awareness too, or is that a separate thing, do you think? You know, I, I, I think it's born out of uh, being deeply in love with the natural world and with animals and with plants and just the the sacred beauty of it all. And having, you know, as I mentioned, when I was going through this health challenge, um, I was uh, grappling a lot with meaning and, and different choices. And for me, um, far more useful and instructive than... Um, with all due respect, than receiving the counsel from, um, you know, certain healthcare providers was to go and be quiet in the natural world and be in relationship with a, a particular cypress that was in the Marin Headlands. I had a, um, you know, a personal ritual around going and being with and um, just getting into the practice of deep listening to the natural world and and being amazed by the guidance that was uh, I that I received there. And so, um, and I, I think this is important. I think that that coming from a place of loving relationship and interrelatedness and, and even interbeing with, an, as uh, some call it, uh, I think that that is, that is different than coming from a place of um, an intellectual, intellectual awareness of the tremendous harm and degradation that's happening on an ecological level because of chemicals in uh, in the water and in the air. And I care every bit as much about that as, um, as you know, many other things. But there's a different energetic resonance um, in coming from a place of love and attunement and relationship that motivates um, in, a, in a different way than um, awareness of toxicity because there's, you know, there's a contracted charge, like it, it motivates and galvanizes, but I think a, a sustaining way for us to be moving in, uh, in fierce protection, it coming from a place of, of love and relationship is, um, is a, a really powerful place to stand from. So, um, so yeah, I think that it, it was long in coming and and really galvanized by being in a community of like in the bay area where so many people 
are we're speaking the language of ecology and environmental activism and passionate uh, love of and defense of like speaking of of the planet as Gaia or as as it's like a living breathing entity like imagining into uh, different ways that we can be in that sort of sacred relationship uh, and in fact this is something that that um, gives me a bit of a chill when I think about it part of part of, in a, in a good way, um, part of coming out and landing in this, this social community in the Bay Area was meeting so many people who were studying permaculture at the Regenerative Design Institute uh, with Penny Livingston and uh, doing programs with James Stark. Uh, and as I was having my own opening experience and, and thinking about like the synthesis and of, of healing and being in relationship with the natural world and the the very um, real importance of practicing medicine and being in a praxis really um, of like making the uh, these ideas practically speaking real in practice. Um, I had a in the practice of medicine. I had a mantra that I would would repeat as a again a touchstone and a and a North Star orientation that I wanted to have a healing center that was grounded in the tenets of permaculture and to be doing uh, healing work in community in which we were thinking about medicine from from the ground from the earth up like thinking about the relationship with the soil and the the relationship with the earth as every bit as important as, you know, getting exercise and, and eating the right foods and, uh, you know, doing deep healing of, of the allopathic sort that, you know, that having it be grounded in the tenets of ecology and permaculture uh, was something that was such a captivating notion for me. And, um, and of course, as these things are, we have no way of knowing how we'll get from from point A to point B, but through setting of intentions and and you know deep listening, um, here I am actually in an actual permaculture garden that stewarding the very same garden that um, Penny and James were teaching my friends that I was meeting when I first came out to the Bay Area and uh, and aligning as as much as I humanly can with you know, feeling very allied with the natural world that actually that that's, I mean, that is part of the medicine that we're working with here in the garden and hope to be augmenting and animating and sharing with people in medicine. Uh, and, and it's, it's been real, it's been very moving to, to be in, in circles with resident physicians and with, with people in medicine and, um, for them to just be able to relax into the the natural world and um, and feel feel being held as as we hold others, uh, so yeah. But tell us a little bit more. But for those who don't know, the the garden and the RGI, the institute, is part of the Commonweal family of programs. And you, though, I mean, have taken this a little deeper and further with the Natura Institute. So tell us the pr- kind of primary. Uh, functions, the activities that you're doing and the goals there on that. Mm-hmm. So our mission, mission here is to be cultivating the medicine of connection to ourselves, each other, and the earth. 
And so a lot can fall underneath that rubric, that mission. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, for us to be in a, in a healing relationship, a loving relationship with ourselves, um, so much of, of the, our vulnerability to consumerism, which of course is a, a scourge on this earth and, and um, so much of the degenerative extractive practices that we allow to happen on the body of our beloved planet come from a place of, of, uh, of lack, you know, a sense that, that there's something more that we need internally and that there's this, this void, you know, be it spiritual or um, interrelational uh, or just, you know, relationship with self that allows us to continue to just be grasping and consuming. So, uh, and of course there are various societal and socioeconomic forces that that conspire to make that that um, that void what it is um, and additionally like working with the the relationship of of being in connection with each other that we human beings are social and that the isolation the rampant social isolation that we're experiencing collectively has a lot to do with with how again how we are with the with each other with the planet and the chronic disease epidemic that we're experiencing and then with the earth like bringing ourselves back into a, a relationship therewith and so um, we have one of our we have several programs that that fall um, under this this mission. And one of them is the Art of Vitality program that I, I facilitate and have developed along with and facilitate with James Stark, which is uh, really, it's focused on, on bringing people together in a circle to be exploring our own inner work, our, what it is that, that um, makes us whole and, and healthy and vital and from an integrative and an ecological perspective. And um, James brings in the, the spiritual psychology, like what, what's gone on in our, in our lives, what's in our root system, so to speak, that needs to be composted for us to be fully expressed in our canopy using the, the metaphor of, of the garden. Uh, and so you know, we we meet we come together and attune what it is that we're doing with what's happening in the garden and get into this the the metaphorical site of you know how we are actually manifestations of the natural world and just like you know in traditional Chinese medicine Ayurveda so many of these old intact whole systems of healing have long honored the fact that you know we are aspects of nature we have different elemental forces that are moving through us. And that when we can bring ourselves into optimal balance, we, our body knows what to do uh, and how to heal itself. So, so the Art of Vitality is, is one of the, the programs that uh, just, I mean, it's, it's such a joy to be, to be in circles. And, and we've, we've just completed our fourth circle. We'll be having a fifth circle. It's going to be postponed a bit because of COVID because um, often it's, rainy uh, in the winter. And so we need to be able to come together in the yurt. And uh, right now we're only coming together outside in Marin County and uh, in the garden. And then we also have a permaculture program that, which is like, as we're, we're reskilling ourselves in how, you know, collectively, these are, these are ancestral skills. Most of us, if you, if you go back far enough um, in in our own lineage, have have family members who were in in attending relationship with the earth. You know, my great 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 and grandparents who came from Scandinavia were farmers, as as you know many people in Europe were, and, and then um, 
moved here and, and lost that connection. And so, uh, how do we, how do we reskill ourselves in knowing how to grow food and vegetables and um, and plant medicine, as well as you know just reading a landscape and uh, and having practical, just really practical skills. We're developing, and we we have a this permaculture program. The the Four Seasons program has been. Uh, it's a program that has that Penny had been teaching here with um, a woman named Lydia Nielsen and Spencer Nielsen, no relation. Um, and Spencer and Lydia are continuing to teach this here. And we've also layered in a, a kids permaculture program so that families can be doing this together and just having you know experiences on the land. Um, we also have. Uh, these community medicine circles, which are, are such a joy, and they are in collaboration with the community health center that I work with, the uh, Coastal Health Alliance, and that had been taking place in the yurt, but now, uh, particularly in the the COVID, well, definitely precipitated by the COVID time because I was highly ambivalent about doing Zoom calls, and um, you know, don't really like being on a screen, truth be told, but you know, saw the the utility in moving it into the the computer world, and um, so in the spring we did a community medicine series, basically again like bringing people together, sharing with them about how their body works. Like, I mean, I just, I'm so fascinated by anatomy and physiology and, um, and the physiology of plant medicine and basically how can we support our immune system? How can we uh, be optimizing our health and well-being? And, um, you know, I just, as an aside, that's one of, one of the challenges for me in witnessing this uh, COVID pandemic, in addition to the disinformation and the misinformation and the woeful, woeful lack of leadership on so many different levels. Uh, there's, there's so much that we can do to support our health and well-being and optimize our immune system that has gotten like zero uh, attention basically in the media. And in fact, when people try to bring attention to it, then they're, uh, you know, we have to be really careful how we language it. And of course, we don't want to be irresponsible, but it is true that there are many studies out there that show that we can, there are things that we can be doing, practices like getting a good night's sleep, being in connecting relationship, minding our stress, optimizing our fruits and vegetable content and, and particular other plants that um, you know have all sorts of plant anthocyanidins and phytochemicals and you know fascinating compounds that can dampen inflammation and and optimize our immune system that you know it's we should be we should be talking about this right now um, and we are and so so those are the community medicine circles that we do and we're we're about to launch our next go round August 12th and I think Kira will put up the uh, the link to that page on the website if people are interested in logging in it's you know it's free uh, by donation so that and um you know, James Stark and his role with Commonweal and the Resilience Project uh, and I are, we're working on an upcoming offering that will be probably first in the, the digital realm again, because of COVID, uh, but looking at resilience from both the inner landscape, the outer landscape, and, uh, you know, some of the, the practical permacultural ecological ways of being, um, yeah, so lots of different things. And and then we also uh, have circles for people who are in medicine, uh, retreats for physicians, retreats for residents, uh, 
So, and then, and then having other people come into the garden right now, um, the, actually tomorrow there's a, a, a beautiful program called project Avery. Uh, it's uh, very movingly for me personally, as I've worked in the prison system with women who have children from whom they were separated, uh, women who were pregnant while they were incarcerated, who had to give their, their children into the care of others, um, this is a project Avery is a, a program for kids of incarcerated people. And um, they have been in the garden this summer and tomorrow they'll be here in the garden, these kids. Um, and there's a, an award-winning podcast called ear hustle who will be here and um, listening to the stories of kids of incarcerated people. And so, so really being um, intentional about how we, we uh, create space here for people to be in the embrace of the natural world so that they can be uh, you know, doing their own healing work on whatever that looks like, be it just like being a kid, playing, climbing trees, uh, actually not climbing trees, not climbing trees. Um, a little insurance uh, legalistic, we're not climbing trees. Um, but you know, just that um, what it is to, to just be in relationship with the natural world and, and what comes there from. We also have a, a series of retreats that we've been doing for, uh, with the, the Latina community, the uh, Latinx women uh, who've been in restorative retreats, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's really moving for me to have people come to the garden. If uh, like these kids of the incarcerated uh, who often come from urban environments, people who are not nature saturated the way so many of us blessedly out here in West Marin, we're, we are nature saturated. It's, Thank, I mean, we're so blessed and privileged, therefore. Uh, and similarly, to create retreat experiences for people who um, are working really hard and don't always have the capacity to take time away and be in connection with each other because they're usually working really hard. Um, so, yeah. So, and then we're also we're, we do herbal medicine programs, and so there's just a lot of a lot of different things that are are working principally at this intersection of connection um, with ourselves, each other, and the natural world. It sounds like you're a great believer in the concept or even the diagnosis of nature deficit disorder. Indeed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In That's fact. I just wrote this this article. I had this great opportunity to write an article for the Eco Psychology Journal and and to go way into the evidence on on how the natural world heals us. And we are pretty fairly disconnected from the natural world, and and there's an ongoing loss of the natural world and in, intact ecosystems and wildlands. Uh, much needs to be done here, and and I would argue that this is a, a public, an essential public health challenge for us to be leaning into that when we're as we what we know about the chronic disease epidemic and inflammation and how our immune system is completely uh, inflamed in an exaggerated way by all these anthropogenic drivers of chronic disease that we've been talking about you know things that that our clever clever species have wrought and brought upon ourselves that when we get out into the natural world and our um, you know, sympathetic nervous system is is uh, 
quieted and our the fight or flight system and the parasympathetic nervous system is um, supported where we are meditated basically by the natural world plus we're breathing in all these anti-cancer chemicals and anti-inflammatory chemicals and then when you put your hands in the soil and, and you have like a, an inoculation of the, the microbes that live there and our microbiome is supported like so many basically anything that we that we could look to that is a anthropogenic driver of chronic disease you know for, be it our cortisol levels and our blood sugar levels and our high blood pressure all of these things that feed into diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease and cancer and dementia like we we have this burgeoning huge, huge challenge ahead of us with high, high rates of obesity and um, all of the other diseases that I just mentioned, that, uh, that when you look at what it is to be in relationship with the natural world, and I mean, even just like being able to look out the window and see a tree, it, it gives you benefit. Uh, but that's just like scratching the surface, of course. Um, there's like each of those anthropogenic drivers is... Uh, met and dampened specifically through an aspect of the natural world, which uh, I think, you know, I, I have a, you know, I think we want to move beyond the transactional relationship with the natural world, which we could get into quite easily, like, oh, what can that tree do for me? Or what can, you know, what are the ecosystem services as some people describe it, which, you know, I think is motivating for some people to put it into that frame, but ultimately a, a better frame is like, how can we be in a relationship with the beloved that's restorative and, um, and beautifully healing springs therefrom. Uh, on the individual resilience, the immunity level, we had a talk with Dr. Cynthia Lee some time ago that is in the, uh, on the website that people can watch with a lot of tips about uh, uh, thriving now in that respect. We also had a talk with Marvin Much, who was a uh, resident convict in uh, San Quentin for many years and was freed when he was when it was found out that he was there uh, not justifiably. And he is his programs in terms of surviving uh, and helping families as well. So these are all part of uh, the big picture here. Um, I'm wondering a bit about yourself. So one of the things in medicine that has really come up with respect to this pandemic too is what is being called wellness. Um, uh, you know, physician and clinician nurse uh, survival in a very stressful uh, environment, which has always been that way, but is even worse now. Uh, you mentioned the, I, the concept of having enough time with individual patients to really delve into these important aspects and make a difference and that people really feel pressured uh, in most settings of practice that have enough time. Uh, they take on the broader aspects of pathology and how do you deal with that and stress. So uh, for yourself and, and just in terms of what you um, see with colleagues as well, I and mean, if you have thoughts on how we can move that forward where important essential workers, as they were now called, such as yourself, and continue to do this work without being uh, burnt out and is the is the most common term. What do you mm -hmm. and what do you see? Well, um, I I care very much about this, and I also care very much about the the power of of being having restorative experiences. I think that the temptation 
is that we see within the medical world is to talk a lot about physician wellness and offer wellness retreats as though uh, burnout is some sort of individual failure to do enough yoga or meditate enough or eat healthily, um, which of course is ridiculous that, um, I mean, that, that often is the case that we, we aren't prioritizing self-care, but self-care alone will not address the, the abject failure of a, a, a system that uh, is not set up to allow for that which is uh, essential in the essential work of healing. And if we're really going to honor the essential work of healing and not be essential in a, you know, commodified sort of a way, then we have to look at structural changes within medicine. And I think, you know, language is such a powerful tool for, to describe what it is that, that we uh, are working with. And so I think burnout, while that has been the, the prevailing term and we know that you know burnout it's we, it, the rates are extremely high i think it's around 40% in, in medicine in general within primary care the last um, number that i've seen was 53% some people put it in the 70s you know it's it's being described as its own public health failure so we are public health um, epidemic and so we we do have to meaningfully look at this i think that uh, you know i i love this new term that people have been using for the past you know, year or two um, to really put a finer point on what it is that we're talking about here. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the idea of, of moral injury is, uh, does get us closer to describing um, what's going on here, that, that our, our burnout is, um, you know, that it's, it's not just because we're being asked to do more with less time. It's actually harmful for us to be asked to do that, which is not possible, which is to, I mean, when I think about what it is like that I'm often asked to do in a 15 minute visit with people who have great health challenges that uh, will take some serious thought. And here I am a highly trained individual who loves intellectual rigor and I'm a very curious person. I love to like, problem solve. And I, I, you know, that's one of the, the great joys in medicine is to, to test hypotheses and to run tests and to, to deeply listen to the story and then figure out, um, figure something out. But that takes so much longer, so much longer than 15 minutes. And uh, so when we have, when we know that we have somebody's life and well-being in our entrusted to our care, and we have tools and training, like we've dedicated in many cases, like decades of our lives to this path of service, but because of the, the um, constraints that are, are there because of insurance companies and healthcare and hospital systems that ask us, they, they need to meet their bottom line. And the only way they've been able to figure it out so far is ask us to see more and more and more people. Uh, that we just simply can't do our job. And so we know that things are going to fall through the cracks. And, you know, it's, I mean, it, it, we all, we have this way of holding it. Like that's on us. That's our responsibility um, when we're asked to be doing the impossible. So um, I, the way that I have approached it personally, which I have, um, like I, I limit the, the number of days a week that I am actually doing clinical medicine. 
You're listening to a TNS conversation with Anna O'Malley and host Steve Heilig. Um, you know, I, I see between 20 and 24 people uh, on a, a typical day now. Now it's over the phone or video and some with a handful of people who are coming in. So I can see I can see more people because I because there's efficiencies in the phone calls. But um I can do that for two days and I'll, and then I'll stay and do the, the administrative slog. And I'm often there until, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I've got a solid constitution. I can do work marathons two days a week. Um, but beyond that, like I'm, I'm far more, not far more, I would say, I, I, I actually love, I love clinical medicine. I love it. Um, but I also love myself and I love my children and I love animating other opportunities. And so, so I'm also, you know, as a family and community medicine physician, part of my administrative project, which here is the, the beauty of clinicians, physicians being in a good relationship with administrators. Like we had um, our executive director at Coastal Health Alliance, Steve Siegel saw um, the my gifts and aptitudes and strong desire to be working on a more of a community level. And so it gave me permission to have some of my administrative time go toward writing newspaper articles and being on the radio and developing and implementing these uh, community medicine circles, both in, in the garden, but also um, online. And so, so I think that there... And this is when I when I'm in circles with residents. This is this is what actually gives people hope. Not that oh we had a great yoga session in the garden, um, but that but that here here's someone who is animating a possibility of of finding um, excuse the the telephone call um, that that there are ways to work within our. Uh, profession that allows us creativity and agency, and we can get out of the box. Um, there are paths toward getting out of the box. Uh, and for me, having this great gift of an opportunity to be bringing people together and and dealing doing healing work in groups in a natural setting, um, I think that there's a lot about this that warrants. Um, you know, viewing it as a, a model that could be replicated elsewhere, that, that being, I mean, we have this existing uh, network of community health centers, we have existing networks of, of parks and natural spaces, and the more we can, we can see the, the relationship between being in, um, in community and seeing the natural world as part of our community and leveraging community and connection and being held by the natural world, um, and see that actually as as a, a an important part of the work that we do as uh, as healers. I think the better for us all. I mean, we we have natural leadership capacities. People trust us because we we have earned that trust because we're service oriented. We're highly educated. I mean, we see it now. And and like who who's who's the trustworthy leader right now at the federal level? You know, it's not our president. Um, it's it's the doctor. You know, and so. I just I think that um, as we peer into the the future and think about how we're we're grappling with in, in our profession um, meaning and resilience and uh, just navigating 
this incredible role that we need to advocate for ourselves and with our administrators within our community and with our in within our own ability to vision a different possibility that the more we can step into um, positions of, of leadership and roles that allow us to advocate for um, the change that we we know needs to happen that we can speak to with great personal experience um, the the better we will be actually because that it's that being in that paralyzed place of, of disempowered lack of agency that that um, is the injurious aspect of um, of the practice, I think. Very well said. Um, I'm wondering about uh, the COVID pandemic in general. I mean, we're in this time of crisis now and what your thoughts are in adding this into the big mix of uh, issues that we've already mentioned here. Um, it's it's both a shocking development and no surprise to those of us who have followed this along that this would happen, that we would have an infectious disease pandemic that would disrupt our whole culture and economy and healthcare system as, as well. Um, how are you holding this in, in the, I, mean, I, I, I don't expect that you're seeing a lot of it clinically at this point, but in the picture, it's, it, it impacts all of these things that we're talking about. And how do you feel about it? I'm, I'm moved by uh, what, what people are experiencing and um, how our colleagues that are truly in, in the front lines are risking their life and, their, and sacrificing their ability to be with their family as they're you know, perpetually in quarantine so that they can be of service. I'm grateful that thus far we've, you know, we're, we're there, we're doing the work, we're doing the testing. We have some cases, but we're not inundated right now. Um, so there's that. And, and I, I know that the, the silver linings that I'm experiencing are a manifestation of my own privilege, that I have the privilege to, uh, to appreciate the fact that my very, very busy, overscheduled existence um, has slowed down a bit while I still have the great um, privilege of, of drawing a paycheck, you know, that I, I have, I am an essential worker. So I'm not pushed to any survival um, edge right now. And I'm deeply grateful for that. I think for me, um, you know, some, I was asked in a, a radio interview, a couple of days ago about this question, someone put up a, a sign in Bellinas about, um, you know, what, what are the lessons? Like, how can this, how can this pandemic be a teacher for us? And of course, you know, we want to be deeply honoring the pain and the suffering um, and not be trite or glib. But I, I do think that it is a powerful reminder to us all that there are no guarantees that we will live into the next week or month. And that's always been so, but this brings it up into sharp relief. Like, yeah, death is real. Like, let us, let us live as though this is the, like, this could possibly be the last day that, that I'm alive. And like, how does that inform how I am with my children, with my other beloveds and, and with my practice and, and what am I choosing to do with my time? How important is it for me to, to, you know, fritter away money on things that I could buy um, or, or not. Uh, so being in the present moment, 
with appreciation that there are no guarantees and that, you know, just grappling with and preparing for death. And um, part of our community medicine circles, one of the early ones was about filling out advanced medical directives and just going to put a little plug, fill out your advanced medical directives. It's really important. Uh, this is a way you can have agency about the the way, the, the kind of care that you, you get, um, which is important. Um, I, I also think that there are beautiful lessons in non-attachment and, you know, that, that the wonderful plans that we may have had uh, may not come to pass and that's okay. Uh, so I think for me, but, you know, thinking medically, I, I appreciate that we are uh, being you know, shook a little bit that, you know, that there is, we need something to shake us out of this, you know, trance that we've all been moving through. And unfortunately, often it is, you know, a crisis that moves us into, you know, stepping into the opportunity. And that, uh, that's something that I, I'm grateful for that. And, and this will undoubtedly not be the last crisis that we navigate together, nor the most serious. And so for us, I'm grateful for the opportunity to go through this practice of, okay, how do we, how do we operate on an intensely local level? What does it look like for people to respond to their neighbors? What does it look like for a physician in a, in a small community to uh, exercise leadership and be, um, you know, putting out information in a way that holds space for the fear and, and provides some degree of comfort because there is actual information that we know and we don't have to listen to the loudest mouth. We can actually, you know, be cultivating our own, um, you know, way of, of being with each other that is skilled and resilient. And, you know, this will certainly be true as we navigate ecological collapse that, you know, the more we have intensely local, regional, islands of sanity with people who have skills and know how to connect with each other and be in um, authentic healing interrelatedness, the better. And so like, you know, I, I welcome, I welcome adversity as a way for us to be sharpening the, the skill set that we really all need to be cultivating right now. Right. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Indeed. <laughs> um, this is a little more personal. You don't have to answer. I'm. You have young children. Um, having children has been called uh, the greatest leap of faith we can make in terms of uh, looking at the future. So I'm just wondering how being a parent uh, motivates and animates your your work and your worldview. Well, it's. Thanks for asking that question. Um, Anything that cracks your heart wide open and makes you vulnerable in in the face of of great great love is um, it's it's just it's so beautiful to to be able to um, be moved by love and and protecting that those beings that you love and for me um, there there are such teachers of mine in how to be in like the the total the present moment with curiosity and with you know they're they're such lovers of the natural world of course and so i mean that's just it's it's inherent in the the fabric of of childhood if circumstances uh support it which they're very blessed to have circumstances support it for me it also just it continues to sharpen my resolve to do as much as i can to 
um, speak for the earth and to be um, my watching my own practices of consumption and um, the choices that I make because they're watching really closely. They're, um, you know, very attuned to what it is to love the earth and love the beings on it. They're, they're very, very oriented toward um, a tender loving relationship with all the beings um, from the, the little bugs to the birds and the foxes and that live here with us. And so, uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't go very often to um, a place of fear around what it will be like for them when they're 60 or 70 years old, because none of us can predict that. And I, I prefer to uh, spend as much time as, as, and focus as I can on creating beauty and um, opportunity and vision within my sphere of influence, which is my home in this garden and West Marin, and then wherever else I, I, I can, uh, because it could be that the crises that we're facing will open the door for the most beautiful reality that we that we could imagine. It could be that by the time they're 60 or 70, that the they we human beings will have fallen back in love with the natural world and know that we can let all of it go and bring our focus to growing food and medicine and um, being in beautiful, harmonious, simplified relationship because we have to. It could be that, and may it be so. And um, so, yeah, I think my my relationship with my children is is this a, a beautiful love relationship with two amazing human beings, and as an, an invitation to ever deepening um, animation of vision. Um, so the desert island question, you're going, you have to go off to a desert island. You can bring your family, but you can only take three books with you. Oh, what would they be? Top of your head. Don't think too hard because it's an impossible question, right? But <laughs> mm -hmm. as, as a, as an, you read a lot. So yeah, that's what we do. It's true. It's true. I think for me, um, those thinking that it, I, I'd be there for a while and um, <laughs> not going to want to read a novel over and over again. I, I, um, I love poetry for opening us into the ineffable. And I would imagine on a desert island, I would be thinking and, and more than thinking, um, being in the experience of mystery and opening to, uh, you know, different spiritual realities. And, and for me, like I, I just, I'm, I love Rumi and, and the Sufist way and also the, the way in which um, the relationship with between beloved friends opens the door into relationship with the divine. So I think that um, I'd bring The Essential Rumi by Coleman Barks. Um, and I think I'd, oh, gosh. That's such a, it's such a beautiful question. It's okay. I couldn't answer it. I, you know. <laughs> They would be they would be books of of poetry and and books that um, 
uh, journals and books that have to do with the the natural world. If I if I could, if there were a book, a bird book or a book about the plants that were of that place, I would choose that. I think because I you know I'm always wanting to know and love my natural neighbors better. Um, but I don't think that I would I would choose a book of, on philosophy or something that would put me too much into my head because I I you know I'm a I'm a, a I take in th- so much through my senses that I would want something that would um, be feeding me on that level. Uh, you mentioned before, when we were talking before that you had a poem you wanted, since you mentioned poetry, that you had a poem you wanted to read for us here. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking, I, I love it when, and this happens so often in Commonweal conversations that that poetry is is woven in. And, uh, and I also, I, I love blessings and convocations and this the ceremonial way of being with each other and um so i was thinking i mean there's so many different beautiful beautiful poems out there but as i was i was thinking about first of all um the fact that we have a a beloved human being right now um dear to so many of us that is um, undergoing surgery you know at this moment and um i I actually have a, a little candle here lit for him. And uh, just thinking, knowing that our conversation was going to be an exploration of what it is to be in medicine and in healing, and also just having my heart and mind so fully with a person who's, um, whose life is quite literally in the hands of others and knowing what it is to to um, be working with that um, that deep experience. Uh, I, I chose a book. It's a, uh, a blessing. John O'Donohue uh, has written many beautiful books, but this is uh, from To Bless the Space Between Us, which is a book of blessings. And it's, uh, it's a book, it's a, a blessing. This one is for a nurse. And there's something about um, nursing and being a nurse that... Um, so many of us who are in our physicians have that same sort of tending orientation and caring for people and um, helping like people navigate. But there's something about nursing, like really being at the bedside for people and that we, I mean, we can all cultivate aspects of this when we're caring for people. And so I thought that would be, you know, as we're, we're thinking about tending each other and tending the earth and navigating uh, adverse experiences and how, how we in medicine do that, how nurses do that, but how also we, we each carry that uh, possibility within ourselves. I thought that this would be a good one to read. So here it is, for a nurse. Your mind knows the world of illness, the fright that invades a person arriving in out of the world, distraught and grieved by illness, how it can strip a life of its joy, dim the light of the heart, put shock in the eyes. You see worlds breaking at the onset of illness. Families at bedsides distraught that their mother's name has come up in the secret lottery of misfortune that had always chosen someone else. You watch their helpless love that would exchange places with her. The veil of skin opened, the search through the body's night to remove tissue war-torn with cancer. 
young lives that should be out in the sun, enjoying life with wild hearts, come in here lamed by accident, and the lucky ones who leave, already old and in captive posture. The elderly who should be prepared, but are frightened and unsure. You understand no one can learn beforehand an elegant or easy way to die. In this fragile frontier place, your kindness becomes a light that consoles the brokenhearted, awakens within desperate storms, that oasis of serenity that calls the spirit to rise from beneath the weight of pain, to create a new space in the person's mind where they gain distance from their suffering and begin to see the invitation to integrate and transform it. May you embark the beauty in what you do and how you stand like a secret angel between the bleak despair of illness and the unquenchable light of spirit that can turn the darkest destiny towards dawn. May you never doubt the gifts you bring. Rather, learn from these frontiers, wisdom for your own heart. May you come to inherit the blessings of your kindness and never be without care and love when winter enters your own life. Beautiful, thank you. You're welcome. And I, I would love just to, because you know, here here comes this amazing superpower of mine to experience emotion readily. Um, I was wondering if if maybe we could just take a moment um, with our breath and and with all that we've we've talked about, all that we that people in medicine hold, um, all that you know, in in this moment like being being with the breath and with our open hearts is sending up prayers for all of those people who in this moment and in all moments hold precious life of precious human beings in their hands and send up a prayer for those people who having surgery or recovering from illness or being in the ICU, the ravages of COVID and other illnesses whose lives are in the hands of others. It's breathing love and appreciation and prayers for that sacred work and that sacred receiving of love and care. Thank you. And let's let's beam like a special ray of love and prayer. Just what did you say? Twelve blocks from your house, Steve. <laughs> yeah. And and may we hold this in our hearts as we as we navigate. You know, it's we we as as I mentioned in the manifesto, and as we all, I think maybe some of us track more more or less than others. You know, we may well face extinction. You know, in my in my lifetime or my children's lifetime, we don't know. Just like it could be the most beautiful reality, it could be that it's like humanity's reality is coming to a close. We just we don't know. Um, but in that that liminal place of not knowing and grappling with death and grappling with adversity, you know, this it, it there is a tremendous invitation 
to be our most beautiful, loving, caring selves in the actual moment in which all life happens. And, you know, experience the healing that comes from that relationship with the now. Anna, I, I really want to thank you for this. You know, um, we set this up kind of in a sudden way. And, um, but I was very confident that you could certainly fill uh, this time with so many wonderful thoughts and so much informed discussion. So um, very beautiful. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, I have one more question. It's the hardest one for you. And it only because of what you said. What's your favorite Grateful Dead song? Oh, gosh. Thanks for asking that question. <laughs> oh, so many. There's so many. Um, Eyes of the World. And I also um, have a special affinity for um, the lyric in which family medicine doctors are called out um, in, it's actually a cover, but, um, you know, the, the song that, you know, what is needed is, is love. Um, you know, that I asked my family doctor just what I had and what she's, what she said, what you really need is, is true love. You know, like that for me is a lyric that, um, that always is personally moving, but, but for the opening into um, that interbeing that um, I revel in and honor and in all of its glorious mystery and that which the mystics have experienced, um, it's eyes of the world. How about you? <laughs> I, well, I mean, just for those who don't know, we have some shared history in this in terms of the hate clinic. And actually just, I had... Uh, our regular once a week, I have what we call the uh, park rounds with Dr. Dave Smith, the founder of the hate clinic and others. It's addiction med stuff. So we call it uh, drugs, docs and dogs rounds. And somehow the Grateful Dead always comes in there because they were part of that whole uh, milieu and so forth. But um, for me, it's probably Ripple. Um, I just I love the uh, the whole message within that song. Um, and and it's it's beautifully done uh, by many. You know, there's you, playing for change is the group, the international group that uh, or, or or network that does these songs, and they did a very beautiful version of that too. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, again, thank you very much. Um, there will be a recording of this that will be posted, and uh, in next week, uh, next Friday. I uh, just uh, set this up yesterday. We should have Dr. Donald Abrams as a dear old friend and colleague and a real pioneer in many areas, both uh, HIV care. He was at San Francisco General as well. Medical cannabis, uh, the right to die, uh, lots more. And also a very fun and funny guy. And he's just retired from almost 40 years of practice. And so we're just going to have a chat about everything he's done and what he's thinking about as well. Uh, we'll follow up on that. So um, it, is, it is to him that I owe a deep debt of gratitude for bestowing upon me the Bravewell Fellowship that allowed me to do the Integrative Medicine yes. Fellowship. Yes, a pioneer in that way too. He's been at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine for quite some time as well. So 
mm-hmm. will follow up nicely on this this talk as well. Um, so there are a lot of uh, comments and questions mostly answered on the the uh, chat here as well. Um, we welcome donations of whatever you can just to keep these programs going because it's uh, free and, and by donation. And with that, Anna O'Malley, thank you very much. And we'll see you around, I hope. Thank you, Steve. I hope so too. You've been listening to a TNS Conversation with Anna O'Malley and host Steve Heilig. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.